Let's go to Mark 7. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Last week we got to a, a point in the, in the narrative where he begins to get tangled up a little bit with the religious leaders, which is going to keep happening all the way until they put him to death. And in chapter 7, uh, he kind of has this interaction. So he's with the people, the, the religious leaders, so the Pharisees and the scribes, they come in. They try to get him tripped up on something. And the people, the people kind of, they just kind of like, hey, we're going to let you guys kind of handle this. And they kind of step aside. And we pick up in the story where the Pharisees have, have kind of done their thing. And so Jesus kind of reunites with the crowd again. Now, the crowd heard what the Pharisees had said, and so Jesus kind of calls the people together and offers these words of clarification. Start in verse 14. He called, the, he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So let's go kind of slowly through through this text and see what God has for us. Uh, the accusation that he was uh, kind of ex- explaining further is in verse 5, you don't have to look at it, but this is what, this is what the Pharisees ask him. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? So there was this, this rule that the priests, in order to, uh, whenever, before they would perform their sacred uh, like, uh, duties and stuff within the temple or the tabernacle, they would have a certain hand-washing and foot-washing ritual that they would go through. And then the religious leaders came in and they just kept adding rules and rules and rules and rules and rules onto that. So instead of it being just for the priests in that particular situation, it became this understanding that in order to be a pure person, you're constantly washing your hands and that kind of stuff. And they created a rule that God didn't create, but it had beca- they, they taught it as though it were a rule that God created. And so that's kind of the argument that was there. And the implication is that the disciples... Uh, whenever they were gathered to eat, their hands were dirty, which made the food dirty. And when they ate the food that was dirty, then they became dirty. It was this like cross-contamination kind of thing. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, they're very particular about foods. And certain things were considered clean and unclean and that kind of stuff. So they were always kind of like on alert about this. And that was from the Lord, like that God had given them certain like things that they could eat and not eat and and that kind of stuff. And so the implication here uh, that he was attacking the disciples was saying that they were unclean because the uncleanness went from hands to food to stomach. And so Jesus is offering a word of clarification. He's like, 
That's not really, that's not really what's going on here. So he handles it with the Pharisees and stuff, but now he wants the people to hear him explain it a little bit more. And when he talks about defiling, like in verse 15, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. That word defilement sounds pretty harsh to us. You know, we tend to think uh, that it, ru- it ruins you. It makes you disgusting. Like it's pure filth. You know, we kind of put it in this category of like, oh, it's so defiled. But really the, the word means that you take something that is sacred and you make it common. You introduce something that, that takes it from complete purity into just a commonness. So how pure, how pure is ivory soap? 99.9% pure. That used to be their big thing. Ivory soap is defiled. If it just, just made a little, almost, almost, but it's defiled because it is not pure and holy anymore. That disgusting, defiled ivory soap that you use is 99.9% pure. So, so you're taking something that should be pure and you're making it common use. So the Bible is a, is a sacred text. And when we treat it like any other book, then we defile it in that way. We disrespect it in that way. We take something that is sacred and we make it common through our own disrespectful actions. And so what Jesus is saying is that in terms of, of taking a human who is sacred, created in the image of God, that that's the design, what makes him defiled, what makes him, instead of sacred, what makes him common, is not an external thing. It's not a behavior-driven thing. It is an internal problem. That's what he tells them. So look at verse 17. When he entered in, in the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So the parable they're talking about is, is that idea in verse 15. Nothing outside a person can defile him, but things that come out of you defile him. That is a parable that they did not understand, so they asked him about it. So he says in verse 18, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And thus he declared all foods unclean. I'm sorry, he declared all foods clean. See, food isn't the problem. And the point of the food-based laws that God gave them, those, those rules were, they were signposts. They were supposed to point to the human condition and need for a redeemer and the redeemer that was to come. They were not the final destination. You know, there's this sign, if you ever, you're going uh, into Texas and it's the worst sign in the world. It says like, you know, Houston, however many miles, it says like El Paso, like 740 something miles. Have you seen this sign? It's the most, it, that, that's why the whole world rolls its eyes at Texas right there. Cause you're like, our state's so big. You could drive this many miles and still be in it. We get it. Your state's big enough. Uh, we're done with you. Um, but it would be like going to that sign. It's like taking a picture at that sign of El Paso and you put it on your phone and you'd be like, Hey, I went to El Paso recently. You want to see a picture from it? And you show them just the sign like, but you didn't go to the El Paso. You just went to the sign that says you have 700 something miles to there. And you're like, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's the same thing. That's what they were doing. They were treating these laws and these rules instead of a sign that, that is pointing to something greater. They were treating that as the final destination. They're saying, yeah, it's really about keeping the rules. And as long as you keep the rules, that's what, that's what it means to be God's people. 
And God's saying, no, that's not what it's about. That doesn't mean that you're God's people. These things that God has put into place were to point to something greater, to say, keep going in this direction. You are broken. You are in need of a redeemer and he is coming. Keep going. And the Pharisees just wanted to hang out by that road sign and high five each other as if they had been to El Paso. And so these, these things that Jesus was talking about, he's, he's correcting this perspective. Um, and he's saying that, that, see, the reason why all foods can be considered clean is that they're not getting to the real problem. They're, they're not getting to the heart. They're just, they're just, it's just going through your body. It's not getting to the heart of the matter in a like, literal and figurative sense. So the problem is not, uh, is not the fruit. The problem is the, is the plant. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 20. So what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come, and he lists all these. These are, these are examples. Not an exhaustive list. He's just rattling off stuff. So out of the heart, out of the inner, uh, innermost parts of the heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. So basically all the things about our world that just make us shake our heads. All the things that make us wonder when Jesus is coming back. All the things that make us cry. All the things that make us wonder and feel hopeless sometimes. All the bad stuff about human behavior and how we treat each other. all, Verse 23 says, All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So the problem is not the fruit of our lives. The problem is the plant and its roots. All those things he lists, that's the fruit of a broken life. And when you have to get down to the bottom of it, he says that it all comes from this thing called the heart. So what is he, what is he talking about? What is, what is the heart? All these things come from the heart. What is, the, like, what is he talking about? So he's not talking about the, like the muscle that is the heart that you know, pumps the blood. But the reason why he uses the same term is because like your heart is essential. Your heart and your physical heart keeps everything going in your body. They can keep you, they can keep you alive as long as your heart is going. Other parts of you can, can, can stop working uh, in, in functionality and you still be alive as long as your heart is going. And so he makes a parallel between a physical heart, but the kind of heart he's talking about is, is, is different than that. Uh, Proverbs 4.23, there's a lot of places we could look to kind of explain it. Uh, here's one, one little short verse that kind of gives us an idea. It says, keep your heart with all vil- uh, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. He's talking about the part of you not the physical heart, the heart of who you are, and from there flow all the things of your lives. It's, it's the core of who, of who we are. And from this core, from the heart, flows everything about us. From here comes our intelligence. From here comes our emotion. From here comes our will and our ability to choose. Um, most importantly, it's from the heart that we relate to God. He's talking about the, the epicenter of who you are. So you have a physical heart, but you, but you have a, a, a big picture kind of heart as well. You, you have like, that's, that's who you are. 
And like I said, from there, from there comes like how we think, how we approach things. From our thoughts come our feelings and our emotions. From our thoughts come, come like our will and our desires. And so everything about us, like it, like it says in Proverbs, there's it, from the heart, everything else springs from there. Ezekiel says that our heart is dead. That we are born with a heart of stone. And what that means is that our dead heart of stone is the wellspring of life springing into all things. And so our heart of stone means that our thinking is broken, which means that our emotions are broken, which means that our will is broken, which means that everything about us is dead and is producing death. So that list that Jesus rattles off, he's like, yeah, all the things that are terrible about like human behavior and how we treat each other and all that kind of stuff. That's not just a behavior problem. That's coming from somewhere deep within you. It's coming from your heart and your heart is stone. It is dead. That's the real problem. And so the Pharisees were hung up on keeping the rules about washing their hands And putting on all the religious, like just going through the motions, you know. Going to church, singing the songs, toting the Bible, uh, putting on a good front, acting like everything's okay all the time, being truly blessed, all those things. They were just like, just go through the motions. That's what it means to be the people of God. And Jesus comes in and says, basically, I love you too much to have you be deceived into thinking that that is the problem. The problem is not the external. The problem is your heart is dead. Your heart is stone. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you just got to act your way into heaven. You got to act your, act your way into the kingdom of God, that you got to act a certain sort of way and then everything will be okay. That that's all that there is to it. So I love you too much to believe that. So when we see those things listed in verses 21 and 22 or other places in the scriptures where this, there's this long list of destructive things, we have to know it's coming from the wellspring. It's coming from the heart of stone. And we can try to change those behaviors. You know, we can, we can, try, to, we can try to not murder. We can create laws. It's like if you murder, you're going to be punished. But guess what? People still murder. We can create all kinds of rules and we can say, uh, well, as, as long as you don't actually do this, you know, you're okay. As long as you don't actually uh, initiate this behavior or do this certain sort of thing, or as long as you don't get caught doing it, everything's okay. And Jesus is like, nope, you're working from the wrong direction. You're focused on the wrong thing. And Jesus knows that we tend to focus on the external rather than the internal because it's so much easier to control. There are plenty of people who can go through their lives and never, never commit a like major crime and go to jail for it. And they think that they're perfectly fine because we're looking at certain behaviors. We're looking at keeping the rules and Jesus knows that that's, that's something we focus on because we can control it. So if you, if you do something you're not supposed to do and there's consequences, at least you're like, well, I did it. So, you know, that makes sense. I'm, you're still in control. You just made a poor choice. 
Or if, if you know, the other extreme, you keep all the rules, nothing bad ever happens, you are the, like, you're like the master of your own destiny kind of thing. So we love that control factor, which is why we love to talk about externals, because we can either make a difference or not make a difference. But at the end of the day, we're the ones that it wasn't enacted upon us. It was our choice to do it. And so all through the Bible, God's making it very clear. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The heart has to be guarded because that's the wellspring of life. He's telling us over and over and over again, it's not about the outside. It's not about the outside. But yet we are obsessed with the external. And it's so easy to ignore the internal. And so Jesus, loving us, comes and he says, hey, that's not what it's about. Now, his words should have triggered something in that crowd, especially with the Pharisees, because they were the ones who were very familiar with the scriptures. You know, they knew they knew all the Old Testament prophecies. They knew all the stuff, but the people did, too. And so when Jesus talks about uh, it's from the heart come all these things, there are some like that should have triggered some like, quote unquote, Sunday school lessons from when they were growing up. They should be like, wait, it seems like there's something about the heart that is woven into some old things. For example, Ezekiel 36 contains this, this passage where it's dealing with the, the, the new covenant that is to come. It says, verse 24, I'll take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I'll cleanse you. And look at this. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I'll be your God. When Jesus says... It's not about the external, it's about the internal. That's where all the problems start. This should have come to mind. Like, oh yeah, like Ezekiel said, our hearts are stone. Or Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Yeah, God, he's told us about our hearts before. These prophecies should be whispered to them. That should have triggered some things of like, yeah, the heart is the problem. This should have been like a, like, like a Dead Poet Society moment. Remember Dead Poet Society? Classic, right? Robin Williams takes his, he takes them to stand in front of a trophy case at one point. And there are all these pictures of previous generations of these in this like elite private school kind of thing, and and it's all boys school. And he has them. He's like, look at the, he's like, look look at these pictures of these these guys that are generations before you. He says, look at them, same age as you, same haircuts as you, same everything as you. What? And he says, listen to their legacy whispering to you. What is it? What, what are they saying to you? And he begins to whisper, carpe, carpe diem. He says, seize the day, boys. 
Make your lives something extraordinary. And it's this amazing scene where these kids are looking into the, into the eye. And it's almost like he's encouraging them. What would they tell you? What would they whisper to you? How can their, what would they have to say if, with you in those moments? And I almost feel like in this moment, that's what should have been happening. Is, is the, the whispers of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Where Jesus is saying, it's the heart. It flows from the heart. That's the problem. And they're he, he, hearing the scriptures whisper to them about a heart of stone being removed. And a heart of flesh going in there. And God writing his laws on their hearts. And them being his people and him being their God. That this is a moment where, where Jesus doesn't even have to say it. He should just reference the problem. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you, you promised us that you would come. You told us this would happen. You told us that this was, that our heart of stone was the problem. And you promised that you would send someone to literally take it out of us and put in a new one. He doesn't come and say, hey, I'm going to take that stone and I'm going to make it work. He says, no, we're just, we're going to get that garbage out of you. That there is an exchange that happens with Christ. Where there's a heart of stone and from there are all these things are infecting our mind and our will and our emotions and all these kinds of things. And he says, I'm going to take that out. Like when you believe that I'm the one that has come to do that, I will remove that and I will put something in its place. And it is a heart of flesh. That means that it is alive. It's living. That when you come to Christ, that that dead heart is out. The alive heart is, is in you. And all of a sudden you, it's like you are now in a place where you can... You can choose him. You can know him. You can relate to him. You begin to, to think like him, to feel like him, to will what he wills. Now the problem is you have this new heart that now you're able to choose. See, before when you have a dead heart, you can only choose yourself. Sometimes, you can, uh, sometimes maybe you can choose others to do the right thing, but it's all going to come down to you. You didn't have a choice because your heart was dead. Now your heart is alive, and so now you're able to say yes to the Lord. You're also able to say no to the Lord. But now we are free to learn, and so we have this new heart. We've got this old brain, this old clunky brain that used to only bear the fruit of death. And you know what? It takes a little while sometimes for the old mind to catch up to the new heart. For the old emotions to catch up with the new heart. The old will to catch up with the new heart. But you got But this has happened to you. Like if you were a Christian, this has absolutely happened to you. Jesus is the bringer of this new covenant. He's the bringer of, of this opportunity to have that heart of stone removed and have his heart of flesh put inside of you for good. It's not changing. It's not, you're not going to undo it. You didn't make it happen. You're not going to unmake it happen. You got a bad day. He doesn't be like, oh, let's get my heart. Let's put that heart of stone back in. You had a bad day. He's like, nope, same heart all the time. Old mind, old whatevers, but new, complete heart. And now that we have this new sacred heart, from, we have a new wellspring. That now is what is springing into life. That is where that transformation comes from. Yeah, there's a, there's a battle within us, sure. But over time, he makes us into the kind of people who live lives that are consistent with that identity that he's given us.
The old has passed away. The old, the old is gone. The new has come. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. That's what he's talking about. The old has passed away because he dug it out of you. That heart of stone is somewhere, somewhere is gone. The heart of flesh, that is who you are. And so really, in any kind of room full of people, you got, you got, there's two realities in terms of the, the heart being the wellspring of life. You got heart of, heart of flesh people and heart of stone people. If you are a heart of flesh person, I want you to walk away being confident and knowing that this exchange that Ezekiel talked about and that Jeremiah talked about and that Jesus was, <clears throat> was pointing to, that exchange has happened for you. Don't get hung up on, uh, on your behaviors too much. Behavior, like we have to watch that stuff, of course, but it's very easy to feel like, man, you know, if, if, I would, if that exchange had truly happened to me, then my life wouldn't look this way and this way and this way and this way. When we do that, we fall into the trap of looking at the signpost rather than the destination. Focusing on the external instead of the internal. So yeah, do we pay attention to those behavior patterns? Absolutely. But we don't bank on that. We don't let that speak to our identity. So if, if you are a Christian, this exchange has happened to you. I want you to be confident in that. And I want you to be patient with yourself as the rest of your life catches up with, with this heart that he has given you. And I want you to help me to do the same thing. I was on a, a hiking trip in Israel several years ago and there was like 40 of us in this group and we're hiking up all these mountains and stuff. And so the guide is up at the front and a lot of these were just footpaths were like one behind, one behind the other. And so if you were in the back of the deal, like it, it, they were going really, really fast and it just took a while. And so the group kept, you'd be together and then you would spread out super far. But the back of the pack always caught up with the front. In that way, your heart is kind of leading. That's your new wellspring, but your mind and your emotions and your wills. Some of these things, they're, they're needing to play catch up, but they will catch up. They will, they will get caught up. That's a part of what, why we walk with the Lord over long periods of time. So it's about training to live this way, not just trying harder. So I want you to be encouraged. If you have a heart of flesh, I want you to be confident in that and knowing this is your reality. Don't fall into the Pharisee trap of only focusing on the external. Be confident about the internal and ask God to help the external catch up with the internal. If you are a heart of stone person, if you have never come to Jesus and said, uh, I am, I am broke. I'm broken. I need, I need help. That's what he came to do. Great news for you. We would love to talk to you about that. Jesus came to make you alive. You are not created to have a dead heart. You're created to have a heart of flesh and to live with him forever. That's why Jesus came. That's why he corrected the Pharisees. That's why he pulled this group aside and said, hey, I want to make sure we're getting the point here that the problem is the heart and I've come to fix that. I'm the one that was prophesied about. about. I'm here to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will help the external catch up with the internal. But that is, a, that is a conversation with Jesus that every person has to have. And if you have never had that conversation, a couple of us will be on the front row. We'd love to just talk to you about that. Answer your questions. If you just want to hear more, we'll be down here in the front ready to, ready to receive you. 
And so we're going to sing a little bit. If you want to come and kneel here and pray, you can do that. We'll have communion served. If a part of you realizing that 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 exchange has happened and you need to reconnect with that, what better than Jesus saying, my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. And so you take that bread, you dip it in that juice and you take it. It doesn't matter if you're a member here or not. But you're either a heart of stone person or a heart of flesh person. If you don't know the difference or you aren't sure where you land, come talk to one of us. We'll be here on the front ready to receive you. So let's stand together as the band comes back. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you sent your son so that we would, uh, we would know the truth and that we'd find the, the freedom that is made available to us in that truth. And so whether, whether a heart of flesh that is, just needs to be encouraged or reminded or spurred on, I pray, Father, that, that uh, every heart here would receive whatever you have in mind for us from the scriptures this morning. And whatever responses uh, just best connects with us, that we take advantage of these closing moments to do that. And for anyone here who is uncertain of where their heart is, or if they know for sure they've never had that conversation, pray God that you would just encourage them to either come forward now and talk about it, or grab us afterwards, or whatever. But that no one would leave here wondering... um, what kind of heart, what kind of wellspring they are walking around with. And so we lift you high, Lord. We thank you. We love you. And I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So our communion tables are open. You come and respond as you feel led. And we'll close out in just the next couple minutes.